Jesus, Messiah, Lord of all. I'd like you to take your Bibles and go to Acts chapter 2. Acts chapter 2, while you're turning there, that Messiah, the Lord of all. Later on in his earthly ministry, he said, I'm going to do something different and new. I'm going to build my church. That's what he announced. He would be the founder of it, the foundation of it, the cornerstone of it. Prior to the cross, he said uh, to his disciples, you'll be part of it as well. That's all going to play out in this series of I Will Build My Church. But he told them that eventually he's going to have to leave. We've been singing about the cross, Calvary, broken body, shed blood this morning. All of that was part of the, the plan that God had in mind. And then the Lord went back to the right hand of the Father to make intercession for us. And he said, when I go, it's going to be good for you as disciples that I go because something's going to happen. Someone's going to come in my place, the Comforter. So the Lord goes to the cross. He's resurrected. He spends some 40 days with the disciples. And then he ascends to glory. And then 10 days later, the very promise that he had made takes place. We, we looked into Acts 2 last week. On the day of Pentecost, 10 days after the Lord ascended, on that day, the church began. The church was founded. The Spirit of God was sent by the Father and the Son, baptized the believers, filled them with the Spirit of God, and uh, the supernatural work began. It couldn't be accomplished without supernatural power. That's why Jesus said, you're going to have to wait. And then when the Spirit of God does come, the church is born. It's activated by the Holy Spirit, by Him and His power. And the believers see miraculous things take place in them and around them. Uh, I call it holy disruptions took place. And it continued in and through the life and ministry of that early church. And as we left last week, we reminded ourselves, you know, it, it might some holy disruption takes place within our own hearts and lives and within this body of believers. That's certainly our prayer. Well, on that day that the church began, uh, people were moved. They really didn't know how to respond or what to do. And in Acts chapter 2, verse 22, Peter steps up with the others. And he says, men of Israel, listen to this. Jesus of Nazareth was a man accredited by God to you by miracles and wonders and signs which God did among you through him, as you yourselves know. This man was handed over to you by God's set purpose and foreknowledge, and you, with the help of wicked men, put him to death by nailing him to the cross. But God raised him from the dead, freeing him from the agony of death, because it was impossible for death to keep its hold on him. I say amen to that. And then down to verse 32. God has raised this Jesus to life, and we are all witnesses of the fact. Exalted to the right hand of God, he's received from the Father the promised Holy Spirit and has poured out what you see and hear. Peter's speaking. He's responding and sharing what's happening around them. He said in verse 36, Therefore, let all Israel be assured of this. God has made this Jesus whom you crucified, both Lord and Christ. When the people heard this, they were cut to the heart and they said to Peter and the other apostles, brothers, what shall we do? 
Peter replied, he said, repent, be baptized, every one of you, in the name of Jesus Christ, for the forgiveness of your sins. And you will receive the gift of the Holy Spirit. The promise is for you and your children and for all who are far off. And folks, that's me, that's you. For all whom the Lord our God will call. And with many other words, he warned them and he pleaded with them, save yourselves from this corrupt generation. And those who accepted his message were baptized. And about 3,000 were added to their number that day. Verse 42, they devoted themselves to the apostles' teaching, to the fellowship, to the breaking of bread and to prayer. Everyone was filled with awe and many wonders and miraculous signs were done by the apostles. All the believers were together and had everything in common, selling their possessions and goods they gave to anyone as he had need. And every day they continued to meet together in the temple courts. They broke bread in their homes. They ate together with glad and sincere hearts, praising God and enjoying the favor of all the people. And the Lord added to their number daily those who were being saved. Well, today is Super Bowl Sunday. Anybody know that? <laughs> um, the world with all it has to offer is going to be on display about 530 tonight, if it isn't already. Plans galore, uh, the best that football has to offer, the best that entertainment has to offer, the best that advertising has to offer. I guess you'd say flashiness at its best from the world's point of view. It will be at a peak today and tonight. We're studying here in I Will Build My Church one of the great happenings that's ever taken place in the history of this known world. Uh, my soul, your soul. It can be rescued. It can be redeemed. It can be reconciled back to a holy God, sinful as we are. Uh, the Lord said, I will build my church. I'm a part of that church. Are you? Isn't that a blessing? It's a very special special relationship to be right with God in and through the work of the Son, convicted to respond positively by way of the Spirit of God. For the next few moments before we, we go to the Lord's table today, I want to remind us that the Godhead, the triune God, has a unique place in the church. How is the triune God related to the church. I think it's very important to be able to grasp that, to grasp or understand the facts within this context of really who God is and how he relates to his church. I mean, the triune God, I don't know about to you, but to me it's a mystery. And there's no way that I can explain it to you. I haven't found anybody that's able to explain it, make a lot of sense out of that. Uh, the secret things belong to him. Things revealed belong to us. So as God reveals himself to us, it's for the taking. And I'm sure there's much more to be taken there than I've ever taken. Uh, but there are certain things that belong to him. We'll find out someday, possibly in glory. But the Bible reveals God as a single God. Um, he's one entity. But he mysteriously exists 
in how many persons? It's called the Trinity, right? In three persons, Father, Son, and Holy Spirit make up the Godhead. And uh, let's examine for a few moments those three persons. Let's see if we can understand more fully their relationship to the church. Um, and especially grasping this thought of the Holy Spirit as part of the Godhead. Because in the remainder of our study of building the church, we're going to be focusing upon the Holy Spirit. Because I believe with all my heart that the Holy Spirit is the energizing life and power of the church. Uh, we'll talk more about that in, in future messages. It, it's the Spirit that gives life. And the flesh is no help at all. We'll be referring to this often. It's the Spirit who gives life. And the flesh is really no help at all. Jesus said that in John chapter 6, verse 63. So let's do a, a quick walkthrough here of what we've just read. So go back with me to verse 22. Peter steps up on that day of Pentecost. Remember, the Spirit of God has come. And he's baptized or placed into the church. The church begins that day. He baptizes or places into the body of which the Lord Jesus is the head. He places those who have put their faith and trust in Christ. He fills them with the Spirit of God. And uniquely, there are people there that talk all kinds of languages, literally, that are hearing the gospel being shared in their very language. That's a miracle. It's a miraculous happening that's going on. Numerous things supernaturally are happening. People are confused. They don't understand what's going on. So Peter steps up in verse 22, and he says, men of Israel. He said, listen to this. And then he basically shares a message that seems to go on for a while, and some 3,000 people get saved. Uh, 3,000 people are baptized by water or in water that day. Amazing things go on. He said, listen to this. Jesus of Nazareth was a man accredited by God to you by miracles, wonders, and signs, which God did among you through him, as yourselves know. Uh, what I want to do for the next few moments, I made some notes on this. Let's look at God the Father. And it's coming right out of that passage of Scripture. God the Father is a part of the Godhead, or the triune God. And here in this passage, as Peter talks to us, the Father accredits or gives credence to the fact that the Son has come. Not the S-U-N, but the S-O-N. The Son of God has come. God has come, Emmanuel, God with us. It goes on in this passage, and it says that miraculous works were done in and through the Son, caused to happen by the Father. It also goes on to say that God the Father fulfills His purpose in the Son's coming. You see, the cross has taken place, Calvary, the death, burial, and resurrection of the Lord. The kingdom is going to be in, in place. Uh, the church is now being built. So much is happening. God is fulfilling His ultimate goal and purpose. He's part of that Godhead. He had raised the Son from the dead. Death was conquered once and for all. Father was uniquely involved in that. And then he placed the Son at his right hand on the throne to make intercession for the believer. And then he sent the Holy Spirit. 
in and through the Son of God. That was all promised, and it began to take place as the church was being built or formed. I will build my church, Jesus said. The Father was a key part of that. Now, what about God the Son? It says in this passage that God did numerous things. It says, this man, Jesus, was handed over to you by God's set purpose and foreknowledge. God raised him from the dead, freeing him from the agony of death because it was impossible for death to keep its hold on him. Verse 32, God has raised Jesus to life and we are all witnesses of the fact. And then he's exalted, Jesus is, to the right hand of God. He's received from the Father the promised Holy Spirit and then he pours out that Holy Spirit upon the world. That's what the Son does. God the Son, second person in the Godhead. He becomes man, Emmanuel, God with us. He becomes one of us. He does miraculous teaching in his life, earthly life, in his ministry, it declares that he is God, declares his deity. He, he's born, virgin born, but in that birth, he's born to die. He's put to death. He's raised from the dead. He becomes the foundation, the founder, the cornerstone of what he's building, his church. And then he ascends the glory at the Father's right hand. He makes intercession for us. We've prayed a few times this morning in we prayed in the name of Jesus Christ. Not just to close the prayer out, it's much more than that. We have no access to the Godhead, to the Father, the, the, the Father, the Sovereign God, the Holy God. How do we get to Him? We come in and through the name of His Son. And then when He ascended back to glory, the Father and Son saw to it that the Holy Spirit came and he's the agent down here at work because the Father and the Son, we know where they're at and what they're doing in their ministry today. So that's two parts of the Godhead in relation to the church. And then we have the third part. Third person, God, the Holy Spirit. He was promised. He was said to be the comforter. There's numerous things this Holy Spirit is doing for the church. Uh, we'll talk more about that in messages ahead. But he came as promised on the day of Pentecost and he activated what Jesus Christ said he was going to build. That's the church, the called out ones, the ones who belong to God, Christ being the head of that body. Uh, the Holy Spirit's current role in ministry, there's so much to that. But in one small segment of that, he's assisting Jesus Christ in the building of his church. Now, hang with me for a few more minutes here, okay? Let's go a little more in depth about the Father. The first person, we'll say, in the Godhead or in the triune God. The Old Testament period could be called the age of the Father because it's God the Father who's most focused upon in the Old Testament. He's the creator God. He's the sovereign ruler of the universe. He's called the Holy One of Israel. There's a reason for that, because God, the Father, chose Israel as his chosen people, and they became then the nation or the people through which God dealt with sin, because he was gonna send a Messiah or a sin bearer to this world you know the whole story in a sense of how this has played out. God put a law in place 
to safeguard Israel, bringing blessings to them when they obeyed that law and judging them when they disobeyed that law. It's amazing, as the human heart does, almost immediately upon the giving of the law, Israel begins to disobey. And God being the omniscient God that he is, an all-knowing God, as a part of their worship, he institutes a, a sacrificial system, remember? In that system, being a part of their worship, they, in the morning, in the evening, are constantly, continually offering sacrifices, many of them blood sacrifices, because God has said, without the shedding of blood, there's no forgiveness or remission. There's no putting away of sin. The problem is the ongoing sin of the human heart and soul of the Israelite, it just continues on. And so the sacrifices continue. It's a temporary thing, but there's guilt and condemnation that remains and, and endless sacrifices tend to cover over, but never takes away completely the sin or the sinfulness of these people. However, God being the omniscient God that he is, he had planned an ultimate solution for the human sin problem. An ultimate sacrifice would come. Replacing those morning and evening sacrifices, this sacrifice would be the Messiah, the sin bearer. He would not only deliver Israel, but he would deliver anyone else who would willingly trust in him from their sin. God would send that Messiah at just the right time on his time frame on his clock, not on man's. And we read about that as Peter shared from his heart what was happening that day. Now, that's just a quick overview of who God the Father is and how he plays a part in this unique happening that Jesus said was going to happen, the building of his church. Now, the Gospels, I guess you would say, would, would be the age of the Son because the person of the Godhead most focused upon in the Gospels is Jesus Christ, okay? He was born, virgin born. He was given the name Jesus. The Gospels record the, the story of his earthly ministry, of his life of some 33 years, his teachings, his miracles, his works of power are demonstrated. And it showed that he was God, that he was divine, that he was the second person of the Godhead. And when Jesus came to earth, he came primarily, as we said, to die, born to die. He came to, to be that Messiah and the sin bearer, the one who would pay the sin debt for mankind. He would be the deliverer. He was the lamb of God. The others were lambs that were offered, in a sense, to cover over sin as a sacrifice, in a sense, for the people. But the lamb of God comes and is offered one time at Calvary on the cross. He becomes the savior of the world, the savior of mankind. His offering, his coming was a radical offering from God because it accomplished something very specific. It attested to God's love, God's unconditional love. Want to quote it with me? For God so loved the world that he gave his only begotten son that whosoever believeth in him will not perish, but will have everlasting life. A radical offer from God, and it proved and attested to the fact of God's love. However, when Jesus died at Calvary, 
as wonderful and meaningful as all of that was. It's amazing to me. That was not the end of God's plan. Because, because of Jesus' obedience and what he did, the Father being satisfied with that, propitiated is the word, satisfied with what the Son did, ushers him back to glory where every knee will bow eventually. And every tongue will confess that he's Lord. All of that to the glory of God the Father. That's in the future. That's going to happen. Now, I've already done that. Have you done that? I've already bowed that knee, and I've already confessed that he's Lord. Praise God. Someone prayed me into the kingdom. Someone took the time to share Jesus with me. I came to know him as my personal Lord and Savior. But the plan wasn't over at Calvary or when Jesus went back to glory because a promise was made that the agent of the Holy Spirit would come down here and assist in this whole process of what we know to be the building of the church. Um, Jesus had said, it's for your good that I, I'm going away. That's what he said to his disciples. The one who is coming will not only be with you, he'll be in you. And I don't think they could comprehend it. There's enough that shows that they didn't. He said it would be better for them if the Holy Spirit came because he'd be in them. He said, but before this happens, you're just going to have to wait. Well, they waited 10 days. Um, and the Holy Spirit came, the third person of the Godhead, the energizing force of the church. He's here. He's within you if you know Jesus. He's active today. He's moving today. He's at work today. He's involved in this thought of building the church of which Jesus Christ is the head. There's numerous ministries that the Holy Spirit does on a regular basis to build that church. On the day of Pentecost, the Holy Spirit comes and he activates the church and so much, much more. The believers are literally placed into the body of Christ. That's what it means to be baptized. They're filled with the Spirit of God. And I think for the next few moments, before we close this out, let's just, well, let's look at the life of Peter and let him be an example to us um, of what the Spirit's coming is all about and how it works. Uh, Peter steps up on the day of Pentecost and he's preaching to thousands of people. He's preaching very boldly. He's saying, listen, folks. And then he tells them what to listen to and what he has to share. I mean, this is the same Peter who just a short time before could never get it right. He spoke a lot, but he often spoke at the wrong time. He often misunderstood what Jesus was teaching. He tended to be the superior one over other disciples. He was part of the inner circle, and he saw himself, in a sense, as the lead disciple. But isn't it interesting, when Jesus is arrested, what happens to Peter? When Jesus heads to Calvary, Peter not only flees, but he denies that he even knew the Lord Jesus. Why was Peter so weak? 
Why was he so mistake prone? Do you have any idea? I mean, how could this man turn his back on the one who had selected him and placed him in that inner circle and said, I, I want to use you. I'm going to give you some keys that what you do and what you use, I'll be able to bless and honor. I mean, Jesus was the gifted teacher, wasn't he? I mean, he was a master teacher. I mean, you talk about a mentor. The, the problem wasn't the teaching. The problem wasn't the mentor. It wasn't the role or the model. It wasn't the example. That, that was Jesus. You don't get any better than that, the God-man. But it's amazing to me that all those educational and inspirational resources, there were some things they couldn't do for Peter. It wasn't enough. Now, what Peter learned that day is the same thing that you and I are confronted with on a regular basis. It's one thing to know the word of God. It's quite another thing to obey it. The best discipleship training and the best spiritual accountability was insufficient for Peter because no outward teaching can compare to the inward working and power of the Spirit of God. I want us to grasp that. That's what we're going to build on in the next few weeks. Look at Peter on the day of Pentecost. I mean, the Holy Spirit is poured out. And all the, the, the political setting or climate hasn't changed at all. It didn't change a bit. And yet Peter's standing up that day and he's preaching boldly about Jesus who he had just recently denied. What's going on? What happened? He's preaching to massive crowds. And he's very bold. This is a new Peter. What's happened? Anybody know? He's filled with the Spirit of God. Suddenly, the one who had failed as a disciple at times was now preaching amazingly, very effective. There was much spiritual fruit. I mean... Jesus had been with Peter for three, three and a half years, but now the Holy Spirit is in Peter. Jesus, through his physical body and presence, was a mentor and a teacher and a preacher and a friend to Peter and the other disciples. But what has to happen is a change taking place from inside out. And that's the work of the Holy Spirit, the Comforter, who Jesus said would come when I go back to the Father. The church was born through the power of the Holy Spirit. And then we've already read this morning, and we'll see over the next few weeks how this picture of the church plays out. And we see church as it's intended to be. The gospel is shared. The task begins. If we had time, we'd read the rest of that chapter over again because God changed the hearts of so many people. And on a daily basis, the church continued to grow and lives were changed. I've got a question for you. Are you ready to move on? Are you ready to move forward? Do you realize that Christianity is basically hopeless? unless the Holy Spirit of God is at work. Do you know that? 
Well, we're going to come to the cross here, in a sense, and reflect on it. And as we do, we're reminded that we've been rescued. We were rescued through the redemption of the Son. And as a result of that, we've been reconciled back to the Father. We have so much to be grateful for. Because what Jesus said he was going to do, he's in the process of doing. And you and I are part of that process. It was all made possible through the Godhead as they worked together, the triune God, to bring you and I to a place here of having hope. Christ within you and me He's our hope of glory. Amen. I'm going to ask the servers if they would to come. And as they're coming, just a reminder today, we do this every month. Don't want it to be just a routine or something scheduled. This is for the church. This is an ordinance that's been given to the church, not the building, not the programs, not the funds, but the body, the people who make up the church. The ordinance is given. And it's a reminder of what happened at Calvary. Why the Father sent the Son. It was the ultimate of sacrifices. Jesus' body was broken. His shed blood was given to not only cover sin, but to deal with your sin at mine once and for all. Place it in the depths of the deepest sea. Move it as far as the east is from the west. And as sinful as I am, and no doubt you are, day after day, isn't it amazing that that blood that was shed back on Calvary cleanses us each and every day? Not only once for all to place us in the body of Christ, but daily that precious blood sets us free. Praise God for that. We're going to partake together here. Uh, and then these folks are going to serve communion this morning. We're going to have you come. And as you partake, make sure that you know Jesus, because this is for those who know Christ. Uh, this is an opportunity to identify in a very special way with him because of what he's done for us. And if you know Jesus, come and partake with us today. But as we're serving one another up here, I'm going to encourage you, if you would, to just take a moment or two in, uh, in silence before the Lord. Be grateful and thankful for your relationship with him. Make sure your heart is right as you step out and partake today. Uh, that's an important part of this whole process. We have so much to be grateful for and thankful for. Amen? Amen.